everybody. Welcome to our show. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. This is a podcast for and about the town we love. And now we're talking Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is February 10th and today we have Dr. Rob Zimbrowski with us, a specialist in functional medicine and author of the book Rebuild. Yes, Taylor. Dr. Z is coming in. He actually has a practice here in Darien, but he sees patients from all over the world, if you can believe it. And they come to him for chronic health issues or any sort of unresolved health issues. And one of the words he uses with them that hopefully he'll use today with us is immune confidence. I'd never heard this word before, but I think it's beautiful. In this day and age when a lot of people are coming from a place of fear and approaching you know, this virus or anything in their health, people are afraid. And Dr. Zimbrowski is coming at it from a whole different angle. Yeah, I love the optimism in that. And given that medical issues are certainly top of mind lately, I look forward to this interview. Me too. I like the optimism as well. I like all optimism, just like our sponsor tonight. I am so proud to introduce these guys, Riley Volvo Cars of Stanford. This place is owned, operated by one of Darian's own, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, a good friend of ours, Jameson Riley and his wife are Darian residents. But it's not just him. He's got his brother, cousin, uncle, father, <laughs> all working there. Um, and it's the third generation of Riley's to run this business. Um and these guys are truly community stewards. They are involved in the schools. They're involved in town. They're supporting local businesses outside their own. Um, I'm really proud to have these guys as our sponsor. Right. They got little kids, same age as mine stuff. I love that. Um, and one of the other things too is I asked Jameson when we had him on, when he came to be a sponsor, I said, you know, I got to be quite frank, I hate buying cars. Um, I'm just so freaked out about the experience with the, the cheesy salesman and being taken. And Jameson had an amazing approach for how they deal with that and building a great customer experience and a long-term one. And starting with an omni-channel approach. And that's basically where you can shop either online or in person to make the experience the most comfortable way for you possible. Um, and then they do other stuff too, which is like they even have like a, a showroom, a little kid's library or toy room on the side, right, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. Their commitment to making the experience for their clients as comfortable for them and as natural for them as possible is, is refreshing. Um, so check them out online at RileyVolvoCars.com or in person at the corner of Myrtle and Elm in Stanford. It's uh, off of exit 8, I-95. And look for the mural of Jameson's grandparents when they started the business in 1959. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, I think I'm in line for a Volvo if that's going to make my shopping experience pleasant. Save me the stress. Absolutely. Um, so proud to have these guys. And now I am very privileged to bring in the famous Dr. Z. Hope you guys like this one. Dr. Z, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you much for having me. It's awesome. And you've been a Darian how long? Oof, almost 30 years. Oh, are you serious? Yep. Is that right? And I, how did I just hear about you? Thank goodness. I was on Heights Road for a period of time, and then we've been at 870 for since 9-11, believe it or not. Oh, 870, wow. 870 yeah. Post Road, right? Yep. Which is kind of where? That's diagonal to, that's right next to the firehouse. Yeah. Darien Firehouse. Okay. The Darien Firehouse. Across some famous post corner pizza. Yes, diagonal to post corner. Yeah. Peter, yeah. great guy. Everyone knows. Oh, yeah. Peter, that's right. That's right. Can we start with just you work in functional medicine, right? What does that mean? Functional medicine, if I were to sum it up in a short description, functional medicine is really a methodology of digging deep to understand why people get ill, whether it's an unresolved chronic health issue or it's a disease. On, on the opposing side of that, medicine is really emergency care. Most people will see, seek medical care because of a symptom or a pathology or an emergency. They treat the pathology, which is the end-stage disease. Functional medicine says, why did the disease take place? What are the driving factors that created atherosclerosis, cancer, 
uh, chronic hormone-based issues like polycystic ovary syndrome. So functional medicine is a methodology. It's a way of digging deep to understand why that person developed that pathology or chronic health issue. We use gene testing and genetics. We use blood work. We use hormone profiling. We use stool testing. And people say, you know, what does my poop have to do with my health? It, <laughs> it doesn't. It's the gut that they look at. Mm. So we want to look at gut function for a lot of different reasons. I didn't realize we'd be talking about poop within two minutes. Of this, <laughs> well, it is morning and we had coffee. It is morning, okay. <laughs> True. So the rea reality is, <laughs> Taylor, functional medicine is a method of understanding and digging deep to why you have what you have. Doctor, I would hope that all medicine, all doctors would do that. This but is what thank I was just you. thinking. Yes. It, it's not geared that way. Yeah. Like right? How is this not intuitively built into our healthcare system? You know, that's a good question because I, I think way back when the system was set up that there was a procedure for, uh, there was an insurance payment for a procedure. There was a pharmaceutical for the ill. So I think it's just been decades of a system that's been set up that we absolutely need medicine. We have to have medicine. It saves lives. So nobody's taking that away. However, the system's not set up to say, what do we do? What do we do when there is a problem? right? What's causing it? And so when we see people from all over the world, they're saying, I've had all the blood work, I've had all the hormones, I still don't know what's wrong with me. And the problem is nobody's putting the pieces together. So functional medicine is an archaeological dig to understand why you have what you have. And this is the root of your story. And this is the story that captured Taylor and I, yep. how I met you. This is your journey, right? Understanding what went wrong and why? No, exactly. And I had a friend of mine who w we were looking at an x-ray box and uh, his name was Len. He said to me, Rob, you have a five-inch tumor in your chest. And so my journey began of why, what, how, what do I do now? How do I survive? So how old were you when this happened? So I was 38 years old. And, and what made you go and get an x-ray of your chest? So symptoms. So I'll start with the symptoms and go back into the story. Uh, so... I started to lose weight quickly through my symptoms. I was losing weight. I started to develop night sweats, um, weak, severe headaches. Like I don't, I, I rarely have any symptoms ever. And in the office at one of the busiest times in the office, um, after getting my neurology degree, I started to develop severe headaches. I mean, it was, un, it was terrible bending over. And I chalked it up to the stress I just endured for the last two years, which I'll mention, and I think people have similar stories as far as stressful situations. So after the stress resolved, um, that's when I started to lose weight. I started to develop night sweats. I woke up one morning gushing in sweat. And when I looked in the mirror, my left pupil was the size of a Frisbee. So I said, okay, now I'm dying. I know this to be true. And I chalked it up to maybe I had adrenal stress. I was fatigued uh, because of all the stress that I went through that led me to this stage. The reality was I had a five inch tumor in my chest that was compressing some of the ascending vascular uh, arteries to my head. And oh so when gosh. I bent over, I compressed them more. Holy cow. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Non-Hodgkin's right? lymphoma. So basically behind my sternum, uh, the mediastinum, I had a giant soft tissue tumor, non-Hodgkin's. And the prognosis on that is not no. great, right? No, like, not at all. What's the survival rate for? It's very low okay. for my, the diagnosis was a, was a large B cell lymphoma. Mm -hmm. So I had no other choice after hearing him. I, you know, I, I think when I, what I remember 
staring at the x-ray, everything got muffled. Everything was quiet. I heard people talking, but I understand what they were saying. My head went, how did I do this to myself? That's what your thought was? Yeah, how that I was your knee jerk I was angry. Yeah. I was angry. I was but insanely wait, angry. Why would you do that? Sorry, I had to stop you almost right there because most Americans will, would chalk that up to, I think most Americans would like genetics. Bad luck. Oh, how's that my bad luck? Or what happened, you know, like of all choices, what? What was my history that this happened to me? It happened to them. But your reaction was, what, how did I do this yeah. to myself? Right. So <clears throat> most people, uh, you know, chatting with Joan London, being on different TV shows, when I, when I say to people, disease is innocently self-inflicted, you have to think about it this way. What did I do to myself or not do to myself that put me into position of a disease or pathology? Can genes play a role Bad luck genes play a, play a role in disease production. Yes, it can. My family is plagued with the C9 gene with Lou Gehrig's disease. We carry the gene. So when will lightning strike? Well, ho hopefully never. But what are we doing to those genes to promote disease faster or not? So the reason for saying that, a couple of years previous, my relationship fell apart. It was caustic. It was, in it was incredibly caustic. I had a drug addict stealing from me, from my clinic, basically stealing money from insurance companies to support a heroin addiction. Wow. All this stuff hit me at once, had a new house, was putting all, dumping all my money into it, finances strapped up. So and stress boom, was out the roof. Out of control. Okay. So for me, my MO growing up as a kid was to hold it all in, right? We couldn't go to our parents to talk. So I just held in the stress. I just held in the stress to say, hey, uh, I'll figure this out on my own. Unfortunately, that was disastrous. So the relationship went away. The finances cleared up. The drug addict was, you know, uh, arrested, all of those things. The smoke cleared. Two, hour, two years later, I started to lose weight. I started to get the night sweats. And during the period of time, what do people do when they're stressed? We drink to sedate ourselves. We were on the run. It was one of the busiest times of my practice ever. So I was picking up a quick, you know, egg sandwich. I never ate like that. I never drank like I did then. Egg sandwiches are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on. No, but, so but many people we'll go just through that too. Got we'll go through that. That's a good point. They're like, I have, I have my egg sandwich with coffee. What are you talking about? I'll go through that, folks. No worries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, the point of the food is on the run, on the go, always stressed. I had six months of unrelenting gut pain, diarrhea, not sleeping at night. So I'd sedate myself at sleep. All I sat there at night by myself in my bed in the dark was my life is over. My practice is over because of the drug addict and all of these things. So just the stress itself, cortisol itself, the mechanisms would destroy my lymphocytes. So the gut symptoms were before you were diagnosed. Correct. Like that nervous stomach. You okay. know, you, you get pulled over for a ticket, you go to public speak, you get in front of people, and all of a sudden people get that churning gut feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Those butterflies in the stomach, but it was painful. So I know the hormones were wreaking havoc in my system. The smoke cleared, uh, the, the, the hell went away, if you will, but I was getting ready for the battle. So 18 months later, per se, or two years later, I started to lose weight, I got the night sweats, and it just progressed. So I drew some blood on myself, Nothing really showed up, uh, and that's when I talked to a friend saying, hey, what's going on? I'm bending over with severe headaches, and he said, come in for an x-ray, and thus the story goes. So we're looking at an x-ray box with a five-inch tumor in there, and again, 
uh, Liz, like I said, I, I was absolutely angered. I was out of control anger internally saying, why didn't I control my environment? Why didn't I do things to be proactive and realize that the actions I was taking then, negative or whatever it may be, would affect my health? What I think in your book, you talk about like the five buckets maybe of the things that affect your, affect your health. Is that right? Yes. Or I simpl- oh, way oversimplified. It, it is simplified, but we, I, I couldn't, when putting all this research together on the five things, sleep, food, exercise, you know, stress reduction, uh, and so forth. Right. Um, I wanted to make it as simple as possible for people to follow or have a roadmap so they could rebuild themselves. Right. If I went into every nuance of all that I've learned over the last 15 years, dealing with chronic disease and, and, and different health issues, it would be too much. Right. And that's how so, many doctors lose patients. Like you, they start doing doctor speak and there's no doc die, right? Like I, I don't know. Exactly. I don't, I don't understand. No. So you've lost me. <laughs> exactly. And, and again... <laughs> Just and ending with the story, it's like that led me into the medical world, that led me into doing chemotherapy. At the end of it all, the chemotherapy is insanely toxic, as you know. Not knowing then what I know now, um, it, it was devastating. And uh, m- millions of people go through devastating treatments and they don't know how to rebuild themselves while going through medical treatments to make the treatment more effective and less toxic. So I went through three months of chemo. I chose the one time a week. Maybe that was the the wrong decision to make, but I wanted to get it over with, if you will, and I still had a busy, booming practice. So we got done with that. The oncology world was just so ignorant. I mean, it was so upsetting that now I have like top oncologists saying, let's wait and see, or let's- So, yeah, so you did chemo and you were done. You should have been done and you wanted to say, okay, now what, right? As a doctor, you wanted to analyze what- progress you had made right right exactly and your answer was wait and see well that's what their response was wait and see and i'm <laughs> gonna wait and see type of person so i dove into the research hard the research hard i mean i was in the throes of it to midnight every night i wanted to know what went wrong in my body and it's funny because cancer mechanisms led to chronic inflammation chronic inflammation led to heart disease heart disease led to diabetes metabolic syndrome Metabolic syndrome led to hormones and polycystic ovary syndrome, right? And all of these systems are tied together. And no matter what ologist or specialist you choose to see, it's impossible to separate the gut from the heart, the heart from the muscular system, your your liver function test from hormones. It's impossible to do. So my understanding now of how these systems are intricately and intimately related to one another then led me to dive in deeper, dive in deeper, dive in deeper. So I put a plan together, rebuild myself during all of that. And it worked so well, they actually called me the freak up at Yale because they couldn't understand why I was doing so well. <laughs> and that's truth. They're like, you're just a freak. And this was d- during your the, the recovery of the first chemo or your second round of chemo? Because didn't you go the, in a second time? Yes. And so after the first round, I was digging into the research to say, what do I do to keep myself well, not knowing that I was up for round two because round one didn't work. Oh, okay. So the second round of chemo started, and I said, I'll do it again, but I'm going to be armed. I know how the drugs work. I know how quickly they're detoxified in the body. I know how the liver is going to detoxify it based on my own objective testing on myself. And so I got all the data. We started treatment again. It was like nothing. It was literally like I wasn't even going through chemo at that time. So I'd get carboplatin, cisplatin, whatever it was at the time, and I'd pull the IV out of my arm saying I have to go to the gym. 
And that's when they started to say, you're a freak, because we don't understand why you're not like obliterated right now. I said, the only reason you're telling me I'm a freak is because you don't understand why someone can be successful through a dramatic treatment like this or a traumatic treatment like this. So, so you, you think you have a way of helping your body experience chemo in a way that is far less painful than most people experience chemo? We have research proof that we can revolutionize the way people go through cancer care if we marry functional medicine together with traditional medicine, which is what we're working on right now. Yeah. So in the chemo world, right, in the cancer world, but don't forget there's all the other chronic diseases. So <clears throat> again, during the period of time, I put the plan together, and again, I was called the freak. And when I got done, the head of oncology, hematology there said, hey, Rob, well, you know, why don't we do a mini stem cell transplant? And I'm like, Dennis, what are you talking, a mini, like mini why? donuts? And I said, no, because that's not going to work. And so I've already done the research behind autologous stem cell transplant or someone else's blood and it really wouldn't have worked for me so i said i want to get cut open i want the surgery and he why says, did he want to do it it's just part of their protocol it's just part of a protocol now i work with an oncology group up in maine they have three big clinics up there and one of the the, the, the people that own the the oncology clinic uh their their doctors said rob this is a drop down menu unfortunately and so actually a little side note here they wanted the nutrition and biochemical protocols to make the chemo more effective for their clinics. And I said, it's impossible because everybody's unique. Everybody's genetically different. How can we give everybody the same thing? And they said, we want you to just create a drop-down menu like we have for chemo. And at that moment, I was like, another eye-opening moment mm -hmm. to know that people that go through chronic health issues, whether it's disease, a chronic disease like cancer, heart disease, or something else, or just unresolved chronic miserable symptoms, are, is hum are humans, is this is what healthcare is, just a drop-down menu? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Sorry, I, I, mean, I love your story, but I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the confidence I have in the American healthcare system, especially, as I said earlier, like, like in a... Uh in a health crisis that we're going through right now, like you could say part of a protocol. I mean, the one size fits all. That's what our system is. Uh, you know, a patient and friend who we, she, she just got her, I'm um, cancer free card. Uh, the other day, her husband named Paul, what a great guy. She says, this is all just basically wash, rinse, repeat. And it really is. It's, I think that the, the system is going into a direction to become more unique to the individual, you know, more like, person to person, N is one is kind of the research studies where it's only you in the study. Mm -hmm. I think the direction is there, but it's not fast enough. And it's 2022 people, let's, let's wake up, right? And demand something more. So just ending the story, the plan worked. It worked so well. I demanded the surgery. The surgeon said, he called me and says, Rob, if you meet with me, we met seven days later, I was cut open. So in a procedure that they've never done before, so they, I guess they call it up at Yale now, they call it the Zembrowski procedure, which is kind of cool. No way. Yeah. And so um, I remember getting the surgery done. I didn't fear it. I was comforted knowing, he says, if you let me open your chest, they cut me open from throat to belly, um, that you'll never have it in your chest again. And all my mind needed to hear was that, right? So healing starts in the mind. And it's funny because people go, well, how can you say that? You know, it's so uh, abstract. It's like, can you worry yourself sick? Yes. Can't you? Yes. Right? So you can't change the way your brain thinks to modify internal neurological signals and hormones for health. I mean, come on, think about it. So they had never taken a tumor like that out. They never. would just treat it with chemo. That's it. 
And, and if you that said, no, you're doing it this time. Yes, exactly. And I challenged them on it. And I suggest anybody who hears this information to challenge everything you hear because your life is at stake. Well, I imagine it was probably attached to so many vital organs, right? Like, is that why they don't do it? It was. And the punchline becomes after he opened me up, I wish I had a video of it. But uh, after they opened me up and removed it, um, I met with the the oncologist or the surgeon. And then I talked to the pathologist a few days later saying, everything is gone. And what we found in this you know, cannonball-sized tumor was some of the, uh, they just said there's a little bit of the lymphoma cells within the center. The majority of it was scar tissue. So what were we doing in combination with the drugs and natural biochemical compounds, nutraceuticals, that forced the body to start healing it, right, to create scar tissue? So when they removed it, that was it. When I woke up from surgery with bloody tubes sticking out of my lungs and drains and these these cannonballs, which were like pin-like stuck in my, in my body for pain relief, the first thing I thought about when my mind, when I was awake, was I'm going to rebuild. And so thus the journey of saying my, I'm devoting my life to helping people rebuild from chronic illness, from disease, from unresolved chronic health issues. And I, and I, and I think more importantly for people to become advocates for themselves. So I think that the power of humans are taken away once you enter the system. People still have a, um, a hesitation to challenge their doctors. This is not the Oz story, right? This is your life. You pay the bill. You're the boss. You're using physicians, practitioners, whatever doctor you're seeing to assist you in helping you, right? But ultimately, people should be the boss. And I just want people to be informed on what should they look at, why should you look at them, and then go out and get that data for yourself and then figure out how to rebuild yourself. Well, this is how you came up with your term immune confidence. Right? You know, and another, another issue that I see today, even during the pandemic, it's everything is based on being viral fearful, not immune confident, right? So uh, as we produce videos and different things and, and provide information to people really on what to do to be their own advocates during this time, this is maddening to me because the power, your power has been completely taken away, taken away during all of this. We think that the only way to get through, and let's just make a couple of comments about, about the situation in the pandemic now, um, is the only way out of this is a medical intervention again. Right. The sil everyone wants the silver bullet. It's America's always obesity, cancer, everything. Everyone's just the quick answer. Right? Everything is the same. Whether you're trying to, you know, yes, exactly. Get rid of metabolic syndrome, fatty liver. You have a cancerous tumor. You have heart disease, hormone. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And what I'm aggravated about the whole thing is everything in the narrative, everything in the news is, you know, do this, take this action, get the vaccine. I understand. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But what I'm angry about is your power has been taken away because you're led to believe that there's nothing much you can do. So that's the aggravating thing. Except for me. take this this shot. This right. not, not a vaccine. Not, I guess now it's a vaccine, but it's well, a that's, shot. That's a, the flip side of what you do. I mean, I love the title of the book and the concept of rebuilding. But you know, if we take you and rewind to when you were 36, how do you prevent that? Right? Like, how do you get ahead of it and treat your body in a, in such a way that this doesn't happen? So <clears throat> that it's a great question. We, we we talk to people about it all the time, and. What I've noticed getting blood work from people all over the world, hormone profiling, one, most of the testing is, is uh, horribly done. It's, it's non-descriptive. It's not specific to the individual. 
So we look at lab work from all over the world from different people and it's like, this doesn't even match what's going on with you. So what we try to do is really, one, take your history up and then say, based on your history, based on the known facts that you already have, what kind of functional tests do we do to understand more about you? Once, so can I interrupt? Sure. Are you are they doing the wrong tests? I'm thinking like more information is good. Like you may not have needed a test of like your vitamin A levels or whatever, but what do you mean it's a bad lab or the labs aren't rec like representative of what they're suffering from? No, it's not the lab itself. It's it's the recommendation of the lab. So if someone wants to have their, if someone is concerned about cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, coronary artery disease, why the hell are people looking at lipid tests? Why are you looking at a function, a liver function test? HDL, LDL, and cholesterol. I'm not saying those things aren't involved. They are. However, that's a liver function test. That's not a heart test. That's not an artery test. So when somebody comes in, they say, hey, you know, my cardiologist told me that my, my heart is fine based on maybe an EKG, uh, which could be non-descriptive, and blood work. What, what have you discovered from it? Uh, you're looking at the liver. I want to look at markers that prove you have arterial inflammation, and that could be done. So my point is the labs are excellent. Most labs are excellent. What's being tested for doesn't match the patient. I see. Okay. Well, this drives me nuts, by the way, about <clears throat> like a test in general. Like it's now that we're talking about testing, like the overall, like a, like a general physical exam people get once a year. Can you talk about that? Because I've seen like people that like, who are just, you know, walking dead who go into these tests and they come out and the doctors say, well, we did your labs, everything looks good, you know, but these people are like obese, they've got joint pain, they've got like a chronic cough, they, you know, like headaches, but like the labs all look good. And I've also heard these stories where like, even my dad did this, he went in and he, go, he goes, the, the standard, the, the cardiovascular test, you know, these men do when you're over 50 or 60. And stress you walk, test? The stress test, thank yeah. you. And all these guys come out great on the stress test and then like a week later, they'll have a heart attack, right? So I, it gets so... I'm just interested in your thoughts on the standard testing that goes on in the physician's office and the, these places. The physical exam that we do is absolutely so detailed, it's mind-blowing. That you do that in your... That we do that in our clinic. Okay. Yeah, what's One, it like to be a new patient? I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, <laughs> typically what we do is if, if someone decides to contact us, uh, we go through the full history. We have intakes that people fill out. From that information, that's when I dive into understanding what tests need to be done. We require all lab tests from whatever you've had done to see if what you have had done is worthy of being looked at or assessed to see if it matches your profile, if you will. And then we certainly recommend the, the functional labs to understand what's going on, and then we create a plan to rebuild you from those issues. I think the standard physical exam should be outlawed, I do. And the reason is, why would you get your blood pressure taken when you step off a scale? But that's part of the exam, right? <laughs> and then seriously, because people actually get aggravated. A lot of people have white coat syndrome. A lot of people don't like going to the doctor, so it's already setting up the stage for faulty findings. The other part of that, Liz, is saying, think about a standard physical exam. What blood are you getting done? I'm just getting general blood work done, a CBC, a comprehensive metabolic profile, maybe you're getting a lipid panel done. So what? Right? And then you get your blood pressure taken in one arm typically, and you get your, your, your a weight taken, and you're free to go. What did it tell you about your genetics? What did it tell you about inflammatory markers? What did it tell you about your hormones? What did it tell you about gut function? Do you have a nutrient deficiency? Do you have a folate deficiency? And now you're anemic. You see what I'm saying? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, 
it goes way beyond just doing general blood work. I think it's insulting, and I think as people, we should demand more. This is old, antiquated uh, procedures that have been done. It's, it's shameful. I'm, I'm actually, it outrages me as far as testing goes. So I'm not here to bash anybody or any profession. I think what's been set up in the system is, is abhorrent. Well, by the way, not like in this current pandemic, I asked you one other question about testing. I've heard that there's different tests run for the different, um, when they're testing for the coronavirus, like there's different ways they've done the test. Like shouldn't a test be standard across the board or does it? It absolutely should. So just as a brief comment on some of the testing, in my opinion, based on the data, uh, I think people should be looking at T cells. T cells are like cytotoxic T cells or a type of white blood cell with its buddies, natural killer cells that target cells infected by viruses. Those are the ones. Of course, we produce B, the, the B lymphocytes. Uh, uh, they produce antibodies, but now all the literature and the data is saying that our antibody responses wane. And because they wane and they change and they diminish, like IgM is an immune response, so we see that as an acute infection. IgG is long-term immunity. But we also see those things vacillate, fluctuate, and change. So the reality is if you want to know real immunity, it's, it's T-cell memory. And there, I think there's a company called T-Cell Detect that you can actually see if you actually have memory T-cells for that. And along the lines of PCR testing, I don't know if you have seen the, the gentleman who actually created the, the, the PCR test. What a super yeah. smart guy. He p just passed away. But the PCR testing is nondescriptive for viral infections. This has nothing to do other than, other than the research is clear. It will pick up genetic material but it doesn't say what it's from. What does that mean? So, so let, let's use a virus, for example, any coronavirus, the cold, the flu, SARS-CoV-2. The genetic material in there is RNA. And what they do is they'll, they'll dissect the RNA out of it. They amplify it in a machine called PCR testing. The more amplifications or the more cycles that's run through increases the likelihood of being positive. Okay. So, again, the PCR testing is not... is is an indescript test, and even the, the, the owner, I mean, the, the guy who invented the PCR testing saying it's not meant to diagnose viral infections. It just means there's something there. So the CDC just and put out something a, could be... It could be anything. It could be the flu. It could be the cold. It could be corona. I mean, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Okay. So to boil that down, does that mean you think we had a whole lot of false positives during COVID? You know, think about this. Uh, where did the flu go the last two years? Right. Right, the flu didn't exist, and then people will say it's because we wore masks, and it's no, no, not really. It's not what the literature says. Uh, the the SARS-CoV-2 virus is 100 nanometers in diameter, so is the flu. So I don't think masks are uh, are, are discriminatory to the flu or SARS. <laughs> they they should either block, right, filter out viruses or not. Um, and bringing up your point, were the numbers mixed? It had to be mixed. They had to be have been mixed. Because all of a sudden, it, the, the flu has been around for eons, and all of a sudden it disappeared. So my point was this. The CDC, and everybody can check this out on their website, they're actually creating or they're asking labs and, and uh, biochemists, different people, to now create labs to differentiate between SARS-CoV-2 and influenza. The CDC posted that. Okay. So I, I kind of want to push back on that. I, oh. I just want to know if we are so convinced that someone has... Um, 
what is it, Omicron or the Delta variant, and we're you're saying that we're not identifying this even as COVID, how are they coming up with those numbers? So I, I think that there's it's all mixed together. How, what are the what are the numbers of of humans being infected with with the with the variants? Are there actual real numbers? I don't know. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any statistics or numbers lately. But does it really matter? Do numbers really matter at this point? I mean, I, how I, are they saying like, okay, the Omicron is in Connecticut? Like, what evidence is there? Like, how do they know? I don't know. I don't know if they're actually taking... Well, in- there's actually a toll booth at, when you come to Connecticut where Omnicon <laughs> checks in, Taylor. And they do a Dude, nose swab there? Are you or an idiot, what? Taylor? Didn't you know this? All viruses <laughs> check in when they come through the state lines. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... I know. Isn't it crazy? So, yeah, you, you pull up and they swab your nose and you drive off. And <laughs> So, <clears throat> I don't know if there's any factual data to say... And it's funny because they say Omicron has come to, uh, to Connecticut. How do you know what that is? Is everybody that develops flu-like symptoms, headaches, uh, upper respiratory type of dysfunctions or symptoms, are they getting genetically matched or genetically put through the process? I don't think so. So I don't know the rationale. I don't know the reason why, you know, they're going to say Connecticut is now, uh, you know, developing the, the, uh, the Omicron is here. But what, this is not conspiracy, but questions that we, we pose to people is, um, if we're talking about the virus itself, it's a fact that those who have gotten vaccinated are also getting sick. Those who were unvaccinated are also getting sick. So the reality is this. Where did the variants come from? There was a, vi- there was a virologist. I, I can't remember his name. He, he was brilliant, and he was talking about it uh, on a video, that when a virus is put into a, into a host that becomes very unstable. The host becomes very unstable. There's something in the host that's making the virus mutate. Those are where the viruses, those are where the mutations come from. And so is it that when we, when we, you know, uh, introduce, let's say the mRNA vaccine, which causes your white blood cells called dendritic cells to to produce more spike protein for the body to become immune to, are we also, and this is just a question, I don't know, but is, are we also creating the variants or the mutations because of what we're doing to our natural internal terrain? So it's just food for thought, right? right. It's really cool, by the way, to have someone like you in here, because I, I see all this medical stuff, and I always want to ask questions to someone, but now we got a doctor here, so I can ask all my ridiculous questions to you. <laughs> Get ready for a, a bunch of text messages. Well, <laughs> no, but literally what you just said, I mean, the CDC just posted on their site, this week, this is mind-blowing to me, I don't know how this is not everywhere they just said 79 percent of omicron variant infections occurred in vaccinated people with boosters to me that is a mind-blowing statistic that is just i don't know so it's kind of what you were saying so your, your big question no exactly so the cdc is now putting out information to say 80 percent of those with with the the omicron variant were vaccinated my two questions to you the listeners the world is what are the two things we should we should think about is it is it is it that it just randomly mutates? Is it random mutation, or is it that because of the vaccinations and how it's changing the immune response, that the virus has to mutate in that environment? But this the CDC to- is saying that that's what they're saying. Well, in you in your practice, what you would say is this is your whole point of practice: immune confidence, people knowing their own body to understand what it is that's affecting them. Well, you know. 
to be able to answer that question for themselves. Listen, Taylor Liz, do you have more confidence in chemicals made in the laboratory or the primal ancient immune response that you have that's been evolved and developed for eons to fight infections. <laughs> the way you asked that question it. sounded a little bit biased, but I, mean, yeah, right. I would have gone I with mean, the, the natural one anyways. So I'm driving that point People died of that stuff for years. I mean, they, thank God we have had the developments we've had in no, medicine. No, 100%. Nope, and I, medicine I, saved your life, as you said. Medicine saved my life. Surgery saved my life. Medicine saves millions of people's lives. Years ago, the, the number one reason why people died is sanitary problems, right? So it was more of an infectious pro- errors that created massive, massive death. But my point is, do you have more confidence in something that's developed that's not unique to the individual than your inherent immune response? And this is where we come into the, to the, the, the conversation of immune confident. So people say, oh, you know, you're, you're, I had this real estate agent come in and, and I've treated her for years from Florida, comes up once in a while, and she says to me, she busts open the door and she says, Dr. Z, I know you're an anti-vaxxer. And we, we kind of laughed and saying, Why? you have some nerve making a statement or judging me based on something you know nothing about. And just for clarity's sake for you, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm an anti-forced vaxxer, if you will. But, but more than that, I think it, it gets me crazy because the power, your internal power, your internal advocacy, everything we can do as a population, as a people has been taken away because the only narrative we hear, well, one, it's, it's all fear-based, right? Instead of becoming, teaching us how to become immune confident, we're all virus fearful. And so instead true, of, yeah. right? I mean, instead of saying, hey, what we can do is use mushroom extracts to support natural killer cells. What we can do is take 80 milligrams of, of zinc Zinc has been proven, proven, proven without the shadow of a doubt to stop SARS-CoV-2, influenza, the common cold. It's in the literature. I'm not just saying that. And I'm not biased in any way. But I think people need to really understand that you can become immune confident by doing certain things and letting go some of the fear and anxiety. And I definitely want to get to that. But real quick, like one of the scarier things I've heard in medicine in the last, I don't know, 10 years is the concept of the superbug and the declining... Um, effectiveness of antibiotics. I mean, that bacteria is what killed people for years. And to your point about sanitary, you know, challenges, how, how do you feel about antibiotics? And can we, are there other options? Well, great question. I think antibiotics are needed. I do. And I think if, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a, a low grade sinus infection that could be bacterial because your immune response got got weakened for some reason, can we get over it or can we fight bacterial infections by honoring our inherent immune response? I do. However, I think sometimes antibiotics are needed. Whatever the circumstances are, whatever the bacterial infections are, they're now they're showing like azithromycin as just a, uh, um, a specific type of, of antibiotic actually as, has antiviral properties. So one, there's a lot of off-label use for a lot of these different medications, right? And everybody's in this uproar about um, uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and it's a horse deworm and all that. Those are, the, those are the inflammatory headlines we hear. But in reality, there's a lot of off-label drugs that have success doing different things in the human body. Sure. 
right? And antibiotics are one of those things that absolutely people need antibiotics. Why would we think that we can just solve everything with, you know, uh, uh, you know, filtered mushrooms. water right and mushrooms no exactly <laughs> and so i think i think mushrooms and and specific guided nutraceuticals will absolutely help you become immune confident and rebuild your immune response so whatever comes along you're less virus fearful and you're not dependent on chemicals do the chemicals work yep do the chemicals support you know, whatever it is again i i i I give my life to medicine because I use surgery. I use chemotherapy. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't exist. So antibiotics are a must when needed. Here's the question. When are these things needed? Right. Here's another question. What are the... So, I hate the word alternative. Could people say, oh, you're, you know, you're a doctor who's into alternative medicine? I said, no, I'm a doctor that rebuilds people from chronic disease. Alternative to what? And I always tell people, go back and ask your physicians and your practitioners... If there was no such thing as pharmaceuticals, what would you do? That's, being, that's not being a derogatory question, but think about it logically because our thought processes have changed. Our critical thinking is different. Rather than saying, uh, what can I do to my immune response and minimize the damage if and when we do get infected, because we all will at some point in some form or fashion, whether it's the flu or a variant, what do we do? So we want to teach people how to become immune confident, knowing yeah. that there's things you can do to two things, stop viral replication, which is what we want to have happen. So the virus stops making copies of itself because you will get exposed. How do we minimize viral load? The other thing is, what do we do support the inherent immune response, which is really natural killer cells and those very cool white blood cells called cytotoxic T cells. Those are the virus assassins. So not so much the B lymphocytes, yeah, they make the antibodies, but because antibodies wane and they ebb and flow and, and that's why they're saying, get the booster, get the booster, get the booster. And the only thing that they're looking at is antibody responses, not T memory cells. I'm guessing people are going to glaze over with a lot of these acronyms and stuff, but can you get to like the practical application of how you become immune confident? How do you do that? So I think there's two actions people take to become immune confident. Do, whatever, do everything you can, or maybe three things. Do everything you can to minimize exposure. You know, when you go to the gas station, put on a glove. Use towels. When you get back in That's the car. That's dangerous? I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> no, the punchline's coming. The punchline's coming. some notes here. <laughs> punchline's coming. So do not lick a gas station toilet do seat. Do not go into the toilet <laughs> and lick the seat. <laughs> that is rule number I, that, one. That gives me gag reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Stay on track. Go. Stay on track. Stay on track. <clears throat> so no, but seriously, keeping good hygiene is what we should all do anyway, right? You don't go to a gas station, pump the gas, and all of a sudden then put your fingers in your eyes, right? We don't don't do that. It like, like minimize exposure because we're going to get exposed somewhere. Yeah. Number two, what do we do to minimize inflammatory issues? What do we do to reduce body fat? Body fat's inflammatory. It's a known spark for the cytokine storm and different things that happen when people develop COVID-19. What do we do to reduce our stress levels? Cortisol will 100% destroy your immune response, aka look at me. So for different reasons. Then you have an inability to fight infection. Number three, as we say, uh, I just created a video on how to become immune confident that will post a newsletter on my website next week. There's six nutraceuticals that we promote or we act, tell people would be very beneficial. 
So we know for a fact that zinc, it's been proven. Google it, check it out. Zinc will stop the replication of SARS-CoV-2, influenza, different RNA viruses. And Can so, you just get that at CVS? I mean, ooh, I, would you trust any nutrients or something from CVS? I'm not. I'm not bashing them. I just. I just asked you if it was dangerous to pump <laughs> gas. So, yeah. <laughs> you know that's true. No. So no, I wouldn't buy any unknown synthetic vitamins, uh, which brings up a point from farm, from drug stores, from off label anything. If anybody is going to take a nutraceutical, do your due diligence to understand wh- where those nutrients come from where the raw ingredients come from, how the company manufactures them, and then you can be assured that it's high quality. I also would suggest if you do do supplementation or you take nutrients, nutraceuticals for whatever reason, do some research behind what the product says it's going to do. Is there clinical research behind it? What's amazing, I I think the hard-hitting nutrient that I think everybody should take really is zinc, and I think it's underutilized. Most people are deficient in it. Um, Where is it naturally occurring? Where does it come from? Seafood, beef, red meats, uh, shellfish, uh, seeds. Is it enough to just eat those things? You know, that is, uh, I, I, I was hoping you'd ask that. Okay. <laughs> I was I hoping we could get to food and eating for your genes because I know that's a chapter in your book I'd like to read. It is absolutely phenomenal how we can manipulate the way the gene responds based on our food. Uh, so you can't, in my opinion, clinically the data shows it and also in clinical experience there's no way you could eat enough to be therapeutic eat you enough could, zinc correct or okay. any any other vital nutrient yeah, your vit- b vitamins folate vitamin d vitamin too. d yeah you can eat enough to sustain yourself that's like the rda like you look on something says the rda recommend that's all just that's to keep your heart beating that doesn't mean it's therapeutic so when we like pharmaceuticals are used as therapy right to overcome to target something nutraceuticals can be used the same way so a nutraceutical is a far higher concentration of a nutrient or a combination of nutrients that you could ever get in mother nature that's why they were created so you would have to eat a wheelbarrow full of broccoli to get enough vitamin c to actually take down viral infections but there are companies that make ascorbic acid engineered so it doesn't suppress the immune system and it supports natural killer cell activity. Mm. So to become immune confident, we recommend high-end nutraceuticals, including uh, nutrients that are uh, ascorbic acid, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, mushroom extracts. Mushroom extracts and yeast actually have a compound in it called beta-glucans. It's a carbohydrate that actually has been proven, proven in data. Everything I'm saying here is proven in research and data, has the data behind it. That beta-glucans as a carbohydrate actually supports natural killer cell activity. It's fascinating. It's the most studied immunomodulating pr- nutrient on the planet, mushroom extracts and beta-glucans. Let's not forget quercetin. We hear of quercetin. We hear of N-acetylcysteine. N-ac- Don't say we hear of that. That would yeah. be you. Yeah. Okay. I'm just talking yeah. my world. Maybe no. I'm not. You're well, like, queer, so what? Well, the funny thing, the list goes on. I think, like, Taylor, like, I think you're, you're trying to be so good, like, for listeners, like, give us, like, the, the quick breakdown of how to be immune confident. I think the, the answer is, well, there's some tools you can recommend, but it's it's specific for each person to... Yes, exactly. And, and, and again, just for the sake of, of the episode here, again, if I can narrow it down, three things, minimize change your perception of stress if you can during this time no matter what's happening with you to 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 minimize cortisol production which will wipe out your immune system number two do things that support your internal terrain 
get exercise, get a good night's sleep. Again, that's a whole, if people really knew what a lack of sleep did, which creates chronic inflammation, that's disastrous for the immune response. When people are sick, they always want to sleep more. There's a reason for that because we need more energy to fight the infection with our white blood cells. But there's things people can do. Exercise, don't exercise till exhaustion. Do high-intensity interval training, which are which is short bursts of high-intensity movement with periods of rest in between. Think of a sprinter. And what's number three? And so number three is using the nutraceuticals, right? Or, oh. or, or instead of using a pharmaceutical, feel free to take whatever you want as far as pharmaceuticals go. Um, but using nutraceuticals with no side effects, no real toxicities, that's your vitamin C. That's zinc. Those are mushroom extracts. Uh, I think we're going to have bring him back and do a, his whole chapter on eating. What was his? Would you eating go for your genes? Eating for your genes. Yeah, do a chapter on that and your supplements because that's a whole world. Well, I think it's really interesting the concept, and I, I admit I'm going to become a patient of yours because I'd be curious to see, you know, what does my DNA look like? What does what does my makeup tell me about my my overall health? Am I deficient in something that's you know I didn't even realize causing some other symptom? I think that's really unique and interesting. And like you said, it's it's tough for the medical community because it's not scalable, right? It's not a drop down. It's not an easily, you know, it's not a cookie cutter approach. But I mean, thank you for doing that work. No, and also to your point, it's it's doctors that have five seven minutes with you. They're not going to be asking about methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase polymorphisms. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like they're gonna. You're like what? Ooh. So MTHFR gene dysfunction is very common. People right. COMT gene dysfunctions are very common in people. So there's people can't clear estrogens. They become estrogen dominant. Uh, they, it's, they, like, they, it's as if you know what you're talking about here, Dr. Z. No, I just, <laughs> I just read that this morning. <laughs> oh, for real? No, you read, I, was like, no. I was like, what? I'm teasing. So to your point, Taylor, if we can guide or if we can teach people how to even manipulate the way genes work, Right, we all have blue eyes in here. They won't go brown. They're not going to turn colors because the genes that encode them can't be modified. But there are genes. There are genes that can be looked at that give us a greater understanding of why you are ill or why you're not well, or even the genetics can tell you you're deficient in this. But and if you don't, if you don't resolve that, you're predisposed to this, which then you develop symptoms and later on a pathology. Right, so. There's always an upstream and downstream effect. And again, when we look at the genetic play, let's think about a cytokine storm. You've, we've heard of this, right, when people develop COVID-19. And isn't that how the like, kids have died from the flu? So, yes. So they get hyperinflammation. They also develop myocarditis and different inflammatory problems associated with it. Here's the question, everyone. Why do some people develop it and yeah. some people don't? That's called your genetics. So now gene, uh, gene testing can be done. There are specific labs that actually can look at genes to tell you if, unquestionably, if you will have hyperinflammation if you get infected. So it's pretty fascinating. Now we dig deep into that system. And then wow. you have something to do if the answer is yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so the labs wouldn't test genes that couldn't be changed. Why would I look at eye color genes? They're not going to change. Why look at them? Yeah. But there's functional genes that could be looked at to modify hormones, to modify muscle contracting, to modify your ability to burn fat for fuel, your, your ability to lose weight, body fat, right? Your immune response. And certainly in this COVID time and, and the pandemic time, now we can look at your genetics to understand if you're predisposed to uh, hyperinflammation, the cytokine storm that ultimately damages the lungs. 
So it's pretty fascinating. And do you have a good immune response? And should you be worrying as much as you should be worrying? Well, let's do some genetic testing. That yeah. doesn't, it's not expensive. It doesn't take long to get. And it, it opens the door to really create superhuman function. Yeah. So, I mean, getting really down to the brass tacks, I mean, how much of this is covered by insurance? How much can people expect to spend to become like to onboard with you? Good question. And I'll, I'll echo off of Liz about being individualized. I don't know because I don't know anything about you until we know about you. Now, I will say that if, if we do comprehensive uh, physical exams or we do comprehensive blood work, most insurance companies pay for that. You know, that's Quest, LabCorp, uh, whatever, you know, if you go to the Greenwich Hospital or something, insurance companies pay for all that. The functional tests like stool testing or genetic testing, maybe your insurance company would pick some of that up. But it's so inexpensive. I mean, it's crazy. In this video, as I think about the cost of things, for $6.55, you can be immune confident taking six different nutrients a day. $6, seven bucks a day. For how long? As long as you want to take them. Oh, sorry, $6 a day. A day. Well, so if you That's kind of a lot of money. Well, you can say it's a lot of money, but what do people spend on, you know, Starbucks coffee loaded with all of its stuff? That's $5 a day. Right? So if you put it into perspective of it all, of it all rather, right? If you get ill or sick, how much time do you lose from work? What does that cost? So when we talk about the functional testing itself, I don't know because everybody's a unique individual. I may say, you know what, Taylor, you just need gut function testing or Liz, you just need a... So how much are those tests if they're not covered? I, I think, I mean, my staff can give more of that information, but but off the off the record, off the cuff here, let's say genetic testing can be three to four to $500. Let's say gut function test can be $411. Really? I mean, if you think about it in the realm of what we can discover and rebuild right. whatever what you're you helping, <laughs> what did you pay already to try to figure it out? Sure. Yeah. Right. Which is tens of thousands of dollars in my experience. Yeah. And then people end, to, a, end up coming to us like a mass unit saying, you know, I'm at the end of my ropes. So what am I doing here? Yeah. Right. Right. And what are you going to pay down the road if your health continues to deteriorate? So. Right. And no, exactly. <laughs> and, and as I said, even in the book, it's easier to rebuild your health than to treat it when it fails. Yes. So and, and then you're left with now what? Right. Everybody asks a question. Now what? Now I have an immune problem. Now I got infected with COVID and or variant. Now I have who knows? Now I have a you know chronic hormone problem from menopause and I can't fall asleep and nobody can figure out and the only way to get through menopause is now giving you drugs. Like what? No, no, no. This is not how you do that. People can become immune confident. People can rebuild themselves from chronic illness. You just need the tools to do so. That's a perfect way to wrap it up. And that is perfect. You speak to me, Dr. Z. I mean, definitely speak to me. You can, <laughs> talking about not coming from a place from fear, but a place from like empowerment for your own individual decisions based on, you know, taking responsibility research. for your own health. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. And, and it's, again, it's nice, refreshing, in, especially in this day and age, especially in this environment, the last two years, to hear someone saying that, you know, speaking of this versus like, oh no, hide, you know, mask up, hide, get to shut. Like, I, I, I understand that, but it doesn't speak to my fear of like having the tools to be confident to go out there. So. Right. Exactly. Stay away from your family on the holidays. Really? Yeah, I mean, me. really, really come on. So again, if people choose to take an action that they feel is safe for themselves, you have the right to do so. But again, I think if people have the right tools, they'll become more immune confident. Yeah. They'll know what to do when uh, a situa situation arises. And people need to be their own advocates. You need to be your own yeah, advocate. Totally. Fight for your right. This is your health, not someone else. What's your website? 
my my website is uh, just my name, drzimbroski.com. And I don't know if I told you both, but we're going to start a podcast soon. I'd uh, love to have you guys on that called Rebuild Radio. And uh, we're working with a company right now to uh, create an app awesome. um, called Rebuild University. So this way people can tap into the app to actually know how to do these things yeah, for themselves. Yeah, what a great idea. Because yeah, you, this is like an inch deep, mile wide, and you could go deep on a lot of stuff and really help people. And you know why? And as my last point here, I, I can keep talking forever. <laughs> yeah. But but as a, uh, as a last point on my actions for it, I can't see everybody. And I know that this care needs to be given. And I can't see you all. And I can't see people from all over the world. And there's people with different financial structures and different languages and different health issues that are unique to them. So if I can create something like rebuild the book, I mean, uh, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's the ultimate roadmap. Uh, without having a doctor, it becomes your doctor. But even the app itself, as we think about it, it's like we need. I need to bring the information to the people so you can be proactive. So one of the big parts of it will be in the app um, uh, how to become immune confident. Awesome. So www.drzembroski.com. Yes. Got it. Say that fast. <laughs> no way. I'm sick with Dr. Z. <laughs> Thank great. you so very much for being with us. Yeah, such a pleasure. My pleasure, you guys have been great. Talk to you soon.